morning, friends. Uh, this morning, as we continue our study, the uh, seven I am sayings of Jesus, uh, we'll be looking at John 8. John 8. And we'll be looking at John 9. So um, let me begin with a reading from chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. After I pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for this place in which we meet as people um, redeemed by your sovereign grace, your loving mercy, your loving kindness. Lord, uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, greater understanding regarding your glorious Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not come. The light of the world. Throughout time, darkness and night have been associated with chaos hopelessness, um, unpredictability, um, hiddenness, um, and, and even death. You know, darkness typically makes us uncomfortable. Um, sin in the Bible is referred to as darkness. Uh, it's referred to as, as night. Um, and it was into this world of night that Jesus enters. God incarnate. Um, in the ancient mythical world, it's interesting that when relating um, light um, to darkness, um, especially within the culture surrounding Judaism, um, it, there was the idea that, that cosmic forces um, had to be balanced, that light and darkness had to be balanced, you know, kind of like the, the yin and the yang. But by way of divine revelation, we read in Scripture that light invades darkness. Darkness must flee, obviously, in the presence of light. This is what we, what we read by way of the living scriptures. In John 8, 12, again, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of 
life. Now, his light, as we, we will read, especially in chapter 9, um, causes conflicting reactions. There, there's a drawing and there's a departing. There, is, there are those who gravitate towards the light, and then there are those who flee from the light. Uh, we read in Scripture that, that, false, that false teachers and fallen angels have reserved for them the doom of blackest darkness. Jude 13. The doom. Blackest darkness. Imagine. Now, with regard to light, um, it's introduced to us from our very origin. Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God speaks um, a word of illumination, and it breaks apart the darkness. The illuminating word of Almighty God. As we read on from Genesis 1, centuries later, uh, we read about the deliverance of Israel from Egyptian bondage. God shows them the presence, his presence, by way of what? A pillar of light. He leads them by way of this pillar of light through the wilderness um, and delivers them. And then he provides guidance for them. Um, through the course of 40 years. Also in the book of Exodus, we see the theme of light by way of God's prescribed manner of worship in the portable tabernacle. What do we have as we enter into the tabernacle on the left side, by way of entry, is the, the candelabra. The candelabra was to be set up, and it, it shone light to the other side of the tabernacle, which was uh, where the uh, loaves of bread were, table of bread, revealing God's provision. Those candles burning represented the, uh, uh, the very presence of God among his people, which is uh, uh, a theme consistent throughout the Old Testament. And this was to remind them that the Spirit was with them, that they, they encountered God um, by way of sacrifice um, and worship, that, that God's presence was there. So you had the candelabra, um, uh, they were led in the wilderness by the pillar of light. In the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was light. Also, um, by way of divine revelation, um, Scripture itself is revealed, to, is revealed to us as a lamp. We read, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And uh, the prophet Isaiah, um, he would come along and he, and he would declare that um, a, a day of great light was yet to come. And that light is most clearly revealed um, and, and communicated in its embodied form, and that is, of course, God's Son, His promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 1, 9, we read this. The true light, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. In John 3, 19, and this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So claiming now to to be the light of the world, Jesus was equating himself with uh, the illumination of creation. He was equating himself with the pillar of light that led Israel through the wilderness, as well as the word light expressed in the living scriptures themselves, and then to the worship expressed in the temple, that God's presence is there. So here's Jesus. Imagine what's in the minds of these religious leaders that he reveals himself as light. He, he, He declares, I am the light of the world. Now the context here in John is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is where Jesus is. It's it's the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the feast, there were two great celebrations that occurred on this particular week. One was the pouring out of water. And the other was the illumination um, of the temple. Pouring out of water and the illumination of the temple. During the seven-day feast, during these seven days, um, priests would proceed from the temple to to the pool of Siloam. They would have a golden vessel, and they would go down and fill it up, and they would come back, and they would march into the temple. They would proceed through the water gate as the Israelites waved palm branches, and they would usher themselves in and under those palm branches, and they would pour the water out on the altar. And as they're pouring out the water, the people would be singing Isaiah 12, 3. It says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The priests would march under, pour it out, they would celebrate, they would sing. And during that moment, we read in John 7 that Jesus stood up on that great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, and he cried out in verse 37 of chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, whoever believes in me. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow streams of living water. The other ceremony that took place during this celebration um, occurred in the court of women, the treasury, which we're familiar with because we just studied in Mark, where Jesus observed um, the woman giving all that she had, um, the widow, that is, into the treasury. Same place, court of the women, called um, the illumination of the temple. Illumination of the temple. Also celebrated on, the, on this last, or, or on, during this week, and we read that it's on the last day of this feast where uh, Jesus walks in and says what he says. So a little background. Um, during this time, um, there were four large stands, and they, there were the large, these large bowls. There were 16 bowls filled with oil, um, Resources tell us that these bulls were large, and there were uh, 16 of them. 
So in, in the four corners, if you will, of this temple area, uh, there were four, 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 and four in each, of the, in each of the corners of this temple court. And resources also tell us that they rose as high as the walls themselves. And to be able to get to them, um, you would have to climb a ladder. So they would be illumined um, during this week. And this was a reminder of Yahweh's guiding their forefathers um, through the wilderness for those 40 years. The water was to commemorate God providing water in the wilderness from a rock. We know in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians that Jesus was that rock. He was the one that provided the water. He provides um, illumination through the wilderness. So th th this is the celebration. And records tell us that when these, when this, when these candelabras were lit... Um, in the courtyard, it says all Jerusalem was illumined. So imagine these blazing candelabras, um, striking light um, coming off of them and reflecting off the gold of the temple and in the, the walls of uh, the temple, the walls of Jerusalem, which were um, limestone. During that time, choirs of Levites um, would be singing. Um, during this time, they'd be dancing in the streets. Men would have torches, um, also singing along um, in celebration of God providing um, light. And then on the final day of, of tabernacles, in the midst of this ceremony, Jesus stands beneath these blazing bowls of fire, and he makes this exclusive statement, I am the light of the world. So imagine Now, some sources attest that the, the, the candelabra um, was lit every night of the feast, and this would have been the last day, that is the great day of the feast, that Jesus would have entered in here and, and, and said what he said here. Other resources also say that it could have been the eighth day, and that is that the candelabras would have been extinguished and it could be that Jesus walked in in contrast to these extinguished lamps or bowls and declares, I am the light of the world. Either way, he declared, I am the light of the world. Amen? So whatever day it was, it doesn't matter. Verse 12 says, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, the word again indicates that his words of chapter 8, verse 12, follow nicely with chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, showing us that we're still in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we say that because the woman caught in adultery, um, you know, here in chapter 8, um, you'll, you'll read in brackets there that the earliest manuscripts do not include um, that account. So the flow normally would go from the, the water celebration to the light celebration. So again, he was in the temple on that week and declares, now I'm the light of the world. So the word again is, uh, is, is important. But notice, okay, in context to, to living water, 
and light of the world. Listen to Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Is that not Jesus right there? Water and light. And here he is. I am the light of the world. He says that after he said, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink. So here then, these these torches that, that were illuminating the city of Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, um, they symbolized the Shekinah glory. Okay, this is what's in the mind of the Jews as they celebrate. It's the week of tabernacles. They tabernacled in the wilderness. So during this time, they would sleep in booths, and they, they, they would, it would be open to, to be able to look up to the stars and remind them of how God provided for them um, those 40 years in the wilderness. So here they are in the week of tabernacles. Um, Shekinah glory is, is God's radiance, God's glory, God's presence, God's dwelling in the midst of his people. Christ is saying, in effect, that that pillar that came, became between you and Pharaoh at the Red Sea when you were trapped, that's me. I am. I am the light. That pillar of protection, I am that pillar. The guiding light in, in, in the dark of the desert, I am that light. That's what he's saying. I'm the light of the world. He identifies himself with Shekinah glory. What an offense. And not only is it true of Israel, not only is it true of Jerusalem, but he says, I am not just the light of Jerusalem, not, not, not only the light of Israel, I'm the light of the world. Not only to Jews, but also to Gentiles. Isaiah 49.6, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So here he refers to himself as light, and the first thing that spiritual light does is it reveals moral darkness, okay? So we think about the spirituals. Spiritual light reveals darkness. Spiritual light reveals sin. Spiritual light reveals the consequence for sin. Moral darkness devours man. It is our doom. It reveals suffering, death, hopelessness, gloom, the gloom of guilt, the gloom of shame, um, an overloaded conscience, And typically, we want to suppress our conscious awareness of darkness and sin, so we'll try many ways to drown it out. Um, It could be materialism. It could be uh, drugs. And to some, it results in suicide. You can't escape it. You can't escape it. So with, with this kind of light, there are two divergent reactions. Jesus is the light. And we're about to see these two divergent reactions, and and, and that is no more evident than in the account that follows chapter 8, and that is um, at the healing of the blind man in chapter 9. 
If you notice in verse 5, notice what Jesus says there. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is a very interesting account. Jesus heals a man born blind. Remember that? Remember the disciples are with him. He says, you know, Lord, uh, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, that he was born blind. In other words, uh, his blindness isn't the consequence of their sin. This, this man was born blind so that God could manifest his glory. And we know that that would come by way of this healing. So here's a man who, who never saw a sunset, could not understand the concept of color, is now able to see. You remember Jesus spits, he makes mud, wipes it on the man's eyes, and he tells him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And by faith, he, he feels his way down there, and he washes, and he's healed. And not only was it a miracle that he was able to see, having never been able to see, his, his mind, his brain was healed in order to, to, to register and interpret the very things he was seeing. So it's remarkable. It's an undeniable, unarguable miracle, but we see in the account the Pharisees nevertheless try to argue. So there are many ironies that we see in John 9 as regards this light. The first is that the blind man begins to see, and those with 20-20 vision become blind. Blind. The blind man not only receives physical sight, but here we, we, we see soul insight. The religious people, the most religious people, do not. So he, he begins to see God, this blind man, a, a seeing that, that builds um, throughout the passage. More and more revelation, in other words, is given to him throughout the account as regards the light of the world. In the other, they refuse to see him, and they decline into darkness. Deeper and deeper into the dark. And it's all in the same passage. The first thing we see, he's blind, so he doesn't see Jesus, but he hears Jesus. Jesus is the word. Jesus speaks, he listens, he does what he says, and he proceeds to the pool, the salon, by faith. He washes the mud that Jesus smeared on his eyes, and boom, he sees. And then, in verse 17, he regards Jesus first as a prophet. Prophet. This is the budding of living faith. So there's the account, and then the pushback comes in verse, we start to see pushback in verse 33. Um, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing, says the man. That's his response to the pushback. In other words, Jesus must be divine, says the blind man who now sees. The religious people reject him as divine. Then in verses 35 to 39 to 38, he, he worships. 
this man who now sees worships. And it's interesting, if you notice, Jesus, uh, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Okay, they're going to they're cast him out of the synagogue. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? In verse 36, he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Notice verse 37, Jesus said to him, you're seeing him. You have seen him, and it is he who's speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. He worshiped. You're seeing him. This is God from God, light from light, begotten, not made. To, to quote the Nicene Creed, the man sees. He's been made to see. Everybody else becomes blind. This man's parents become blind. The Pharisees especially become blind. See, they see God as evil. They see Jesus as, as evil. They see light as dark. They see holiness as sin. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not, notice, he does not keep the Sabbath. What do they mean by that? Because Jesus made mud on the Sabbath. He spits in, in the dirt and makes mud and smears it on the man's eyes, and he, now he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. There's always a division with Jesus among the masses. So in their mind, number one, he, he disrespects their traditions, okay, making mud on the Sabbath, man-made tradition, and their man-made traditions was like they, they, they served as a tortilla to, to, to the, the law of God, an attempt to protect God's law. So they make up all these additional rules, the inventions of man. That's the first thing. They dis he disrespects our traditions. The second thing is they see the bearer of all truth as a heretic. Verse 16. He's not from God. If you're not from God, you're a heretic. So they disconnect Jesus from God, unable to deny the miracle. In verse 24, notice, this is when the parents were inquired of. They, they, they asked the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? And for fear of being cast out of the synagogue, they said, um, well, we know he's our son, but as far as the healing goes, you can ask him. He's of age. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. Verse 24, so for the second time, they called the man who'd been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. So in their mind, he, he's an apostate, light of the world, that is. He's a heretic, and he's a sinner. This man's a sinner, he's immoral, he's heretical, he's an apostate. That's their view. 
the man's excommunicated from the synagogue. And that's the thing that the parents feared. That's what everybody feared in association with Jesus. To Jesus, you'll be cast out. Verses 24 to 34, they go on to say, you know what? You're just like him. You're a sinner as well. You were born in sin, they say. Get out. They kick him out. Now, when Jesus, verse 35, heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? So here's Jesus standing with the outcast. Isn't that beautiful? The light of the world. He stands. He stands with the outcast and against the religious hierarchy. Verse 39. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. Okay? But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Those are their divergent reactions to the light of the world. In John 9. So they were blind in two ways. First, they're blind to their own inner darkness. Remember Jesus, what he said to them on another occasion? You are like you are whitewashed tombs, which outwardly, okay, on the outside, appear beautiful, but within are, are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. That was their heart issue. Jesus pointed that out. These are men buried under a, a cathedral facade. This is, this, this is their life. Jesus points it out time and time again. They rip off our artists. They, they devour widows' houses. They're frauds. They're, they're Satan's servants masquerading as though they walk in light. And here they're confronted by light. So that's the first thing. They're, they're blind to their own inner darkness. Secondly, they were blind to the outward light coming to them. Truth in a human body. God incarnate. They, they did not recognize God at the time of his coming. They wouldn't see, therefore what? John 12, they couldn't see. Wouldn't and then couldn't. You know, I've been at people's bedsides. You would think people on their deathbed would just cry out to Christ. More cases than not, they resist to the end. And it's like they can't. They just can't. It's very frightening. They thought the light was darkness and the darkness was light. Why do we see? Because we've been given sight to see. We've been given sight. This man was given 
sight. It's not, it's not that we can come and, and claim expertise here this morning, amen? We were blind, now we see. So we, we gather this morning, as we're preparing to do, not to celebrate how incredibly insightful we are. Amen? You know, we're grace recipients. We've been given sight. I was blind, but now I see. We don't gather here to say, uh, we get it, they don't. Amen. Right? We've been given sight no less supernaturally than this blind man in John 9 has been given physical sight as well as spiritual sight. We gather today with certain aspects of our life out of place, right? Jacked up half the time. And we enter in, we can't quite see everything clearly. This is part of sanctification. We're given sight to see the light of the world and rightly recognize him. And then as we pilgrimage through this life, there are certain aspects of our life for which we do not see correctly. So we gather in, we sit under the word, and then things are, are, are redefined for us, amen? It's light that comes to us. So the only way to see, Jesus says, is to acknowledge your lack of sight. Notice, verse 41. Jesus said to these Pharisees, because you say we see, Therefore, your sin remains. You say you see and you reject me? Your sin remains. The light of the world that comes to us, that is the miracle of regeneration, amen? The light that has come to us is the miracle of regeneration. That's the light that comes down to us. We did nothing to participate in the act of regeneration. It's the sovereign, sole sovereign work of God. But then it doesn't stay objective to you. It comes to us, and then it works through us. It actually becomes resident within us. Light. Light of the world. And then it, it works its way inside, and then eventually works its way out. In relationship to God through the Holy Spirit. It's reflected through you. That is the wholeness of God channeled through you, if you want to use that term. That's why Jesus said, right? He, he said to those that are his, that understood, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, not only does he declare, I am the light of the world, he can also say, to his own disciples, you are what? You're the light of the world. Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. You are a vessel now of his light because of grace that has granted us sight. And beautiful. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. 
So if you want some good reading with context now in your mind of the, the week of, of tabernacles, read John 7 and, and John um, 8 this afternoon, and it will provide even a deeper context to John 9, from which we just did a brief overview. Amen? I am the light of the world. Lord, we do thank you that um, you are light, and without you we dwell in darkness. We would die in darkness and would be cast into outer darkness, but we praise you that you have come to us, the light of the world, and you have um, given us, by way of your grace, some sight to see, to see you as you are, that is, the Lord of glory, um, sovereign Savior, and um, as we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge um, of you, of your Son, by way of your Holy Spirit, uh, may we um, serve um, as vessels of light for your glory and um, in, in the good of your church. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.